Thanks for downloading show 116 of the C-Suite podcast that's being produced in partnership with the British Business Bank and the international management consulting firm Oliver Wyman with the aim of discussing a new report that they have published called Alone Together, Entrepreneurship and Diversity in the UK, which looks at the persistent disparities that black business owners and those from Asian and other ethnic minority backgrounds face in business outcomes with systemic disadvantage playing a key role. My name is Russell Goldsmith and joining me online to discuss the findings of the report and share their own experiences of raising finances to start their businesses. I'm thrilled to welcome three BAME founders to the podcast who have enjoyed success in their work, Michaela Alexander, Keshav Bat and Flavilla Fongang. During the podcast, we'll also be hearing from Alice Hu Wagner, Managing Director for Strategy, Economics and Business Development at the British Business Bank, and Shalom Lloyd, founder of the Naturally Tribal Skincare. Uh, They both took part in the British Business Bank's live online event that launched the report. Uh, Now, according to the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, the UK has 5.9 million small and medium-sized businesses started and run by a great many entrepreneurs, from tech startups to local restaurants, And together, these SMEs generate over £2.2 trillion of revenue annually. This report is based on the findings of a survey that took place between April and June this year of over 3,700 people who are either aspiring entrepreneurs or running a business that they started themselves. And so before we find out more about Michaela Keshev and Flavilla's businesses, I thought it'd be good to set the scene by hearing from entrepreneur and former investor on BBC's Dragon's Den, Piers Linney, who is also a non-executive director of the British Business Bank. Uh, I caught up with Piers last week and I started by asking him why the British Business Bank commissioned the report and what some of the top level findings were. So I'm a non-exec director of British Business Bank. It's the government development bank. It's become pretty well known recently because it's been behind lots of the coronavirus related support schemes for small businesses. And one of the key things the bank is, it's got lots of different objectives. One is improving access to finance for small businesses. In terms of making you know, policy decisions and designing you know, your sort of uh, programs, you need to understand what the issues are and who has an issue. So British Business Bank, uh, we're working with Oliver Wyman, who's a sort of an expert consultancy, have conducted this research on a real sample. It's the real deal in terms of research. And it's focused on BAME. So if you don't know what BAME means, it's Black, Asian, and minority ethnic people. And it sort of looked at that particular community and done some research and said, you know, what are your outcomes in terms of being an entrepreneur and what are your outcomes in business compared to your, you know, in this case, your white counterparts? So it's seminal. No one's really done this before. And it's important we have the data so you can have a conversation. Which of the findings stood out for you? Where do you start? You're going to need a longer podcast. <laughs> um, so I think, uh, let me paint you a picture. If you imagine you, you entered a 100 metre race, right? You've done all the same prep as your counterparts. You're just as good. You're all the same gear, the running shoes, all that stuff. You get to the start of the race, the 100 metre race. You realise you're starting 20 metres back because your socioeconomic background makes it a bit more difficult. The distance you need to travel to be successful, maybe you define that, tends to be longer. You then realise actually you're running the hurdles race. And only if some of these hurdles visible, there are some you don't, you're not even aware of yet that are invisible. And that's the race you're running. This is not about favoritism. It's actually, if you're a woman, it's even worse. There's more hurdles and you're potentially starting even further back. It's not just about race, it's about gender. Uh, and what we have to do is try and work out what are those hurdles, because some of them are invisible, they are a bit intangible. What the research does is show you there's structural 
there's a systemic issue in if you start in the same race. The good news is black Asian minority ethnic entrepreneurs start the same number of businesses, but they're not succeeding. And, and why is that? And that's what we need to work out. Obviously, I've had a chance to look through some of the numbers. There was a couple of things that I picked up on. So according to the report, 28% of black business owners fail to make a profit compared to just 16% of white business owners. Why do you think there's such a, a difference there? So I think if you look at it generically, profit's a measure of success, isn't it? So one of the things the research found that um, BAME entrepreneurs, they don't seem to fulfill their aspirations. Now, they might have different aspirations. You know, a person might have aspirations to be able to, you know, pay the rent. Somebody might want a yacht. But the point is, is that I think it's a difficult measure of profit sometimes because in a small business, your cash flow can be taken out for many different reasons. You know, what you've invested in, your salary potentially as well. So it's a difficult measure of profit. But overall, a mass over a big sample, that's a measure of success. So what we're saying is, is turnover tends to be lower. Profits tend to be lower. People don't meet their aspirations, however you define that. So overall, no matter how you measure it, the outcome for black and Asian minority ethnic entrepreneurs is worse than their white counterparts. And also, you've got to break it down because BAME's a real catch-all. It's My experience is African black. There's black Caribbean, which is me. Uh, I'm half Barbadian, half English. And you've got women as well. So it can be much more difficult if you're black Caribbean, actually, and it can be if you're black African or if you're Asian. And across the board, even your own, even your own socio-economic or ethnic group, it's harder when you're a woman. Yeah, well, just picking up on that, actually, because that was the other number I had. So again, just going back to the report, it says 37% of black female business owners and 36% of female business owners from Asian and other ethnic minority backgrounds, they report that they're making no profit last year compared to just 15% of white female business owners. And I know you kind of touched on this earlier, but what's causing them to struggle even more? So if you're a woman, as well, let's look at that for a minute. So you tend to have, and I'm trying to be generic now to jump on me, but it can be, you know, childcare, it can be caring for relatives or children. So that can have a, an impact on you as well. So the issue is, is that what we need to do the work on now is what are the causes? Because the research is clear on there's an issue, but what we need to talk about is, in a broader sense, is what are the causes? And I think the big ones are access to capital, social capital, and financial capital. Eventually, what we really want, this is not a zero-sum game point I keep making. It's not a, oh, well, if they're wealthier, that means I'm not. We're, the, the pie should be much bigger. And we're leaving tens of billions on the table in terms of the wealth of our nation, which means all of us, and, and tax revenues, by not connecting talent and ambition with opportunity. So some uh, really interesting highlights of the report that we discussed there. Um, I'm keen, obviously, to get all your views on them. But before we do that, I thought maybe each of you can introduce your own businesses, but also it'd be just good to understand what motivated you to start on your own and how you went about raising those finances at the start. So, Michaela, let's, uh, let's start with you. My name is Michaela Alexander. I'm a founder author of Miles and Mia children's book series. And my children, Miles and Mia, are my inspiration for creating the book. So my background is in creative events and I used to manage nightclubs. And um, one day my children, I used to buy books from abroad, but I thought that I was um, tackling the lack of diversity issue. And my children used to laugh at the books. So as a kind of joke, very angrily, I said that I will create a book with black characters that they would love. And I did that in 2016. And um, due to the success of the business, from customer feedbacks, from repeated book orders and sales, that's kind of made me want to grow the business and create another book. 
and launch out into the dream is to have a car too. And in terms of starting the finances, how did that, that start? Yeah, so I was really fortunate. So I basically knew what I wanted to do with my business. I created my business plan and I spent two years in the research. But I had invested financially as much as I could of my own money. Um, and then I needed funding to do the bigger cost. So I went to the startup loans and they have a whole package where you get mentoring support and you go through the whole process. Um, but mine was mainly the finance, but I did really benefit from the mentoring. I initially got just under £10,000 from them, and that was in 2016. But it literally just covered my cost to get the books out there, just to, to get it out there. Fantastic. Keshev, how about yourself? There's, I guess there's multiple ways that I can answer that, like like a lot of entrepreneurs out there. Um, but basically, yeah, the main thing I do is I run two businesses. One is a social enterprise that works with disadvantaged young people to equip them for life beyond the classroom by teaching them the personal, social and global topics that you're not taught in curriculum, things like gender equality, um, sex and relationships, uh, politics, racism, etc., managing your money, stuff like that. And then the second business I run is a coaching business where I create content for free, mainly on YouTube, helping people to develop their routines, habits, and just basically get a, like practical self-improvement ideas for free so yeah those are two main things that i i do currently and focusing on that first one that's revolution hive isn't it that started with a, a startup loan uh yeah so i got a, a two thousand five hundred pound loan uh which initially i mainly intended to use on my website but because of the uh, the really great mentorship that i got um i was able to like clarify a lot of my ideas and i ran my first feels like a dream now like i ran my first workshop in a random room in an art gallery with I think like five young people, but I really enjoyed it. And, and now, yeah, we're, we're all over the place. Flavilla, how about you introduce your company as well then? Yeah, sure. So my name is Flavilla Fangang and people know me for different things. I'm a bit of a serial, serial entrepreneur. Um, so yes, my journey started from, from born in Paris, African and proud, and decided to come to London 18 years ago. I didn't speak a word of English and a bit of a study freak, <laughs> we'll say that. I left university with two degrees and one MA in international business, worked for an oil and gas company, got tired and um, follow my fashion, my passion for fashion and decided to become a fashion consultant. Naturally, that led me to create a fashion academy, an online fashion academy to train people to start their own fashion career. Led from that, I moved to be, to actually create an agency, a branding and marketing agency. And from that point, I'm, I keep evolving. Um, so yes, yeah, so I run as well a, a podcast called Tech Brand Stalk. And I also have an online coaching program. People cannot afford to work with the agency. And back of that, I'm actually launching my new book, 99 Strategies to Get Customers. So I'm sharing all my tips, all my secrets. Just a few things there then. <laughs> I, 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 as promised, I had a quick listen to your podcast earlier. Very, very good. In, in terms of promoting each of your businesses, I mean, Flavilla, let's, let's just let's stick with you for a second and then, and then I'll come back to, to the other guys. I mean, what, what have you done to, to promote yourself? It's, it's a good question because it's funny. I've always used the fact that I was a minority as a strength and I wish more people as well would do that. So the fact that I was French, the fact that I was different, the fact that I was a, a woman, I've kind of seen this as a power and therefore use that to my advantage. So the first thing I did, I realized that if I want to stand out as a marketer, I have to develop my own meth method. So I've developed my personal brand. And that's also the reason why I forgot to mention that also I'm a founder of TLA Black Women in Tech. So I support women in technology. So I really created my own method, my own approach. And then from that point, one thing led, one thing led to another. But yes, yeah, so outbound activities, inbound activities, 
personal branding, getting on the biggest stage and so many other things. Great. And uh, Michaela, how about you? For me, mostly a lot of it has been on social media. So when I started, um, the startup loan only covered the cost to literally get the book printed and up and running, but it didn't leave any market in whatsoever. So I had to really be creative. That was one of the reasons why as well, because I knew that I was doing it alone. I didn't have a big backing and support from a big publisher behind me or agent. Miles and Mia, where they was real life, they have been involved in the process from the beginning. So for example, one of the pages in the book, the A to Z book is M is for model, musician, pilot or athlete but they do a lot of modelling. So I've been really fortunate that some of the campaigns, like international campaigns that they've used, I've been able to tie that in and be like Emmys for model. So we have a lot of, um, I call them fans or supporters that have, for example, seen Mia in a model campaign and have messaged us or taken photos and shared it. So I always knew that I needed ways to try and promote the book and Miles and Mia, the real life Miles and Mia and their daily adventures, what they get up to and social media is my main source of promotion. But things are changing with social media now. So you're having to pay for a lot more things. And I've been fortunate as well to have a lot of celebrity endorsements. And when a celebrity buys the book or they tweet about it or they post about it, I normally get lots of engagement and um, sales that way. Is that something you've proactively approached them? Yeah, basically, because I, like I said, I knew I had no marketing budget. I literally had to think of ways to promote the book and it works, you know, if you've got the right person endorsing it. Who have you managed to get to do that? We've had quite a few, but one that I can recall Giggs, he's a rapper. He's been very supportive of the book all the way through. So from when he first got it to now his daughter reads it independently. And I had family members that are obviously supportive of what I was doing, but they were like, I'm going to get the book today. I'm going to get the book today. And the moment he posted it, they'll all be messaging and be like, oh, we did it now. So those little things have happened, but um, the, the biggest rewards other than celebrities is really the children, children that I don't know, from all over the world, non-black, that are loving the book and want to read it over and over again. And to this day, that will still say it's their favourite book. So it, as much as it's hard work, because like I said, I do it myself, and some some things might take months of work, especially like in America. We have a big fan base in America. So we have a lot of like reality stars that have endorsed the book. But it's a hit and miss, you know, I kind of don't really do that so much now because the cost to ship it there is a lot of money and there's no guarantee now that things have changed with them wanting payment, basically. Yeah. And Keshav, how, how about yourself? How, how are you promoting your business at the moment? With, you know, because obviously you mentioned you're doing the YouTube stuff, but with Revolution Hive, how, how's that working for you? I mean, I, I'm rogue. I just, I, at the beginning, I was really, really, I still am. I was really passionate and, uh, I would just go into schools and be like, I don't care what you pay me. Just put me in a room. Let me speak to some kids. Let me just do my thing. And and um, it's kind of like what Michaela said in terms of um, like sweat, sweat equity, but also social proof, because suddenly, you know, when you've got numbers next to your name, you've got a celebrity endorsement, people are like, you know, they really believe in what you do a bit more. It was the same for me at the beginning. I, I would go in and, and, and like create amazing pitches and have all these flyers and do all the stuff to try and put myself in a good stead. And I would get paid like 60 quid for a day's work, working with hundreds of young people and just tiring myself out. But I knew that the product that I'm offering 
it's an experience. So I just needed, just give me one. And I still say this now, like you just, just give me one chance. I don't care who the young people are. Just literally give me an hour, half an hour. And trust me, by the time that I'm done, you will want us back in. And we, one of the things that um, I'm really proud of with my team as well is that we always get called back in. So I just got out there basically and spoke in front of as many people as I could, anywhere I could, so that people would um, buy our workshops because the work that Revolution Hive does, it gets classed under PSHE, which is seen as a sideshow, a side subject that you do in a form period while you're busy. But actually, you know, I believe it should be the main fulcrum of curriculum. I believe that character education should be at the centre of our education system rather than just on the fringes. So, yeah, it was just a case of like getting out there as much as I could and then asking head teachers as well. Like, you know, Robert down the road, he's having me come in. Like, why don't you recommend me to two people and I'll give you a discount, stuff like that. So um, that was what I did at the beginning. I can really relate to Kishav and he's been lucky. You've got some paid like I have done so many book readings where I just want to get in and do it for free. And I'm kind of limited to what I can do because I've still got to, you know, run the household and pay the bills. So for me, my dream would be like if I had the investment that I could literally just go into schools and do it all for free and it would just cover my cost. So the fact that you even got a little pay is great, but I understand exactly why you would do it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I did, I did loads of free stuff and even now I'm happy to. And that also was one of my big lessons was uh, because I'm so willing to do it for free. I would do it for free, but then I had to realize, no, you need to put a number next to it because you then create that customer buyer relationship and you learn more. So just coming back to those points highlighted in the report, what's your views on, on that headline number around the higher percentage of black business owners failing to make a profit compared to white business owners. Flavella, why don't we start with you? I think when I, you know, when I saw these numbers, I wasn't surprised by that. You know, it's always very painful. You know, my journey is, you know, is different because I, I came from Paris. People think, oh, you come from Paris, you must have everything. But I was raised in a family with one mother, five children. We had one pair of shoes per year and I only came here because I had a grant that was given by the French government. And I think, you know, why is it so painful is to realize that, you know, even when I started my business, I never took the initiative to actually ask for a loan. I realized I had to do it by myself and that never, come to, never came to mind. But something needs to change because I think the less advantage you have, the more support you also require to help you believe in your ideas, but also get, you know, as I said, like this, you know, Michaela, Keshav as well, and we've all done that. We've invested, give a lot of our time for free. And quite often we forget that we also need to get paid for it. At some point you have to say stop and do something about it. But from my point of view, I try to think about my own journey, but the importance as well of looking outside my circle, because I need to look at people who are where I wanted to be to figure out how, they, how did they manage to get there. And sometimes, as you say, you know, everybody has their own train of, you know, their own journey. But it's important to see what they've done to get there and how you can rebalance that. And that comes from additional support where you can look for grant or loan, which are sometimes required, often required to achieve achieve our business goals. And quite often the reason why a lot of businesses fail is not because they're not good, it's because they run out of cash flow. That's because of that and obviously, you know, lack of understanding how to sell and get customers. Michaela, you were nodding along there. Yeah, because I can relate to everything that was saying, just um like Favila, I wasn't surprised disappointed but not surprised by um the report findings because 
you know, I tick all of the boxes, you know, I'm a single mom. Um, I live in a tough borough like London, it's very competitive, where I'm a single parent and I'm working at a low income part time. I had less money to start up with prior to launch. So all of those, you know, there's lots of different factors. And I think age as well has um, an effect on it. But for being a female and a businesswoman, it doesn't surprise me the results. But, you know, it's time. Things need to change. I want the respect and a level playing field. Hopefully now things like this report that will start in conversation, something, things will change. Kesha? Yeah, unfortunately, similar to to what Flavilla and Michaela both said so eloquently. Um, I really liked what you said about the less advantage you have, the more support you need. And that's that's really important. It, it didn't really surprise me. The stat that really stuck with me was um, around seeing the specific turnover data and the profits, because you, you kind of you kind of know that the social inequality and those structures of inequality are there. But you don't know, like, in a quantifiable way what the difference is. But then to, to be able to see, like, oh, right, wow. So it even made me think, wow, so if I was white, middle class from Suffolk, would I be on, like, 50 to 80K? That's, uh, that feels quite nice. I might go see a, a, a football game or something. Yeah, it was just, I think that was the most surprising thing was the how quantifiable it was. It's funny because, I've, as Michaela mentioned, like being black is difficult, but being a woman is, is another level of difficulty. You know, you have to deal not only with these invisible barriers, but also that you know, as a woman, sometimes you have to deal with, uh, I'm not talking talk about the Me Too movement, but you know, often you have to deal with these kind of things as well. But yes, from, from my point of view, and also very that we also, <laughs> as black women, don't age or we look younger than our age. So people quite often look at us and a number of times I've been, sitting in a board meetings with full of white men in the fifties. And I'm here and looking at me like, Oh, uh, is she in the right room? Or is she meant to be here? It's like, yes. So, and I play with that. I think I've always loved people to underestimate me and use that to my advantage so I can better surprise them. So I, I always find that very playful, but you know, one advice I will always give to people is that let them think whatever they want of you and then use that to your advantage to then surprise them the best, you know, and then, that's what I've done. I think I've always let people believe what they wanted. But when I start talking, you have to take me seriously. So yes, it is difficult, uh, but it's about how you, you know, how do you position and use your differences either as a strength or as a weakness. So I've used that I'm a woman, stilettos, come put a pair of red, you know, a red, red suit on. You're going to see me and you're going to remember me. And that's what I wanted. And I'm just tired of being the exception. That's very good. I mean, one of the um, the areas actually was that, that was raised was it was put down as this double disadvantage of having an ethnic minority background and being a female founder. So let's just have a listen to what Shalom Lloyd, she's founder of the uh, Naturally Tribal Skincare. Let, let's have a listen to what she had to say at the uh, launch event last week. Up to 250 billion could be added to the UK economy if women started and scaled up their business at the, at the same rate as men, that is staggering. I acknowledge that a lot is being done. Women are rising, although not as fast enough as our male counterparts. But my personal opinion here, my personal experience is, you know, the report also says black women are 28% of the black entrepreneurs in the UK, but they're also 50% of the entire black working population. And when I look at it, I think, you know, the cultural demands on black women, balancing running the business and cultural expectation, 
for me personally, there is a pull and a block. And what I mean by a pull is there's a pull at home. Sometimes it's cultural, patriarchal culture, raising a family and the caring role that the report highlights. And the block or the boundary or the perceived block and boundary is that being accepted as a black woman in this business world during that critical scale-up phase, if we ask, we won't get because historically that's been the case. So creating a limiting belief that my voice has not been heard in those financial institutions at that much needed scale up phase. The entrepreneurial gene is there. Women in general, and in this case, black women are fantastic entrepreneurs and, and business women, but there is fear. Fear that I have personally experienced when entering into the business world as well. Um, but I think for me, my success in the two businesses I have today has been because I've become used to breaking barriers and breaking boundaries to the point where I don't see them anymore. So we need to work with female entrepreneurs, black women, to actually support, to get everyone to that point where they get used to breaking boundaries and barriers to the point where we all stop seeing them. So Michaela, just listening to what um, Shalom said there, what were your thoughts on her comments? She's just amazing. And that is the kind of support, everything she says, that's the kind of support that I'm looking for. She's wise, she's knowledgeable, she's not scared. I need so I need someone like her that understands and supports my vision and where I want to go with the business. So, you know, mentoring as much as um, financial, those are the, my two areas of what I'm looking for. When I hear someone like that speak, I'm like, me, please. You know, obviously she doesn't know about me or my business, but that's the kind of person I want. Someone who really is fighting and rooting for women-led businesses like mine. Yeah, probably a good good opportunity to come back to Flavilla. You mentioned earlier about your uh, TLA Black Women in Tech initiative. Do you, do you want to just explain a little bit more about that? Because that, you know, it leads nicely on from what we're talking about here. Yes, of course. So TLA is in, as known as Technical Advocate is a large group. So you have a lot of subgroups fintech focus and so forth. But there was no group specifically for black women. There was a group for women and a group for black. But I thought that wasn't enough because as even before the numbers were revealed, that would explain exactly why, because there's a, there's a difficulty of being black, but it's even harder of being a black woman. And the reason why I created the group is I'm not scared of being in the room and, and saying what I think and, and changing the way things are. And I know there's so many amazing, and I knew that there were so many amazing black women out there who were just scattered. And sometimes what we need is being able to be together so we can uplift one another. I came from Paris and on TV, there was no black people. When I arrived in London, I was shocked when I first watched EastEnders. And I think, wow, anybody can be successful. Wow, these people, were, are you allowed to wear this scarf? Or, or, you know, all those things that, you know, were not tolerated or not visible. And that changed my perception in terms of what I believe I could achieve. And that really, that's when I realized the more representation of us we see, the more we can uplift one another and believe that we can achieve more. Tremendous. There's, a, there's another barrier that the uh, report highlighted, and that was if you are starting your own business journey from a low-income household. And so here's what Alice Hu Wagner, Managing Director um, for Strategy and Economics and Business and Development at the British Business Bank, said at that uh, launch event. The other thing that we wanted to be very clear about is that a lot of 
things are collinear. That is to say that you know, one thing causes another thing. So money really makes a difference, right, regardless of what color you are. So what we know is that, uh, I mean, this is, this is obvious, right? So if your household income is you know, less than 20,000 pounds a year, then spending 5,000 pounds in terms of getting your business started is a much bigger percentage of your disposable income than if you have a household income of over 75,000 pounds a year. And of course, that kind of access to resources or the ability, for example, to fail multiple times, to spend 5,000 pounds on an idea that doesn't work out and if, you, if you're from a richer household, then you can keep on going and you can fail and fail again until you succeed. But for those who have fewer economic resources, that's just not possible. You have one shot and that's pretty much it. I mean, particularly if it affects your, your credit rating. And so we know that minority communities on average tend to have lower uh, household incomes. Women tend to have lower household incomes and assets. And so these are factors that conflate with each other and make things worse. Keshev, so what's your thoughts there on on what Alice had to say? I think that definitely makes uh, a lot of sense. Uh, I link it back to the other um, soundbite we heard earlier about, you know, a lot of businesses fail because they just don't have enough cash flow to keep them going. And um, like Michaela, you were talking about at the beginning, you know, having that 10K to buy the initial set of books so you could get yourself out there. That's, That's not a problem with your marketing strategy. That's not a problem with the product or like the way you're doing anything, it's just literally you need a certain amount of cash to get you to the point where you can break even and make a profit. And if you face a multitude, especially of disadvantages, it's going to be a lot harder. And like Piers was saying at the beginning, I think it was a great analogy. You're running a hundred meter race, but you're starting 20 blocks behind and it's a hurdle race. And you didn't even know that. And you find out halfway through. So Sometimes I think there's a toxic positivity out there in the entrepreneurship world of, you know, it's all about hustle. It's all about hard work. If you didn't work hard enough, then it's your own fault. And that's why you didn't succeed. But actually, even me working hard versus Michaela working hard as a single black female entrepreneur, it's different. Like we have different advantages and disadvantages. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that because, Otherwise, you know, we can't level that playing field. And we, we know these structural inequalities exist, um, but unless we address the causes and we have policies that redress that balance, you'll continue to see that. And I, and I, I think of uh, an example I came across about, a, about two years ago. I was talking to an entrepreneur that I met at a networking event. She was white from like a very upper middle class background and um, she runs a coffee shop in the thick of central London. And I was like, you're younger than me. And in talking to her, I, I, I didn't get the sense that she had that business acumen. So I was really curious, like, so like, how, how do you launch a coffee shop in central London? Like, how do you afford the rent? Like, I just want to learn, you know, maybe I'm missing something. So like, yeah, I was just at dinner and I was talking to some friends and uh, my dad had had like a friend over and he was a very wealthy um, property investor who was coming to the end of his career. And um, he started talking to me and basically he felt really guilty that he'd never given back to society. And so he decided like, you know, what? I've got this property. It's just kind of sitting there in central London in Oldgate. And um, I just want to like invest it in a young person. And so he gave me the cash and he paid for it all. And I was like, it literally blew my mind um, walking home where I, I remember calling, you know, like my family and friends, like, yo, that like, 
can you just imagine that that if you were born in a different set of circumstances i could have been the one on that table michaela could have been the one on the table any one of one of us could have been and um we would have just like had a a door opened a shortcut that it might take me my entire lifetime of working as hard as i can to um you know put my children at that step um, but because just by proxy and also household income and the people you know and the people you went to school with, stuff like that, it gives you so many benefits. And I and I, I know a lot of people who they might have been, uh, I've come across entrepreneurs who've been privately, private school educated. And so if they need something, they have a friend who's also a lawyer or also works at this bank. And, and it just makes those things easier. Well, I think what you're talking about there leads nicely onto the topic of social capital, another key issue highlighted in the report that I want to talk about. So before we do that, firstly, here's a clip of uh, Shalom Lloyd from last week's event explaining exactly what social capital is. You know, your social capital is basically your network. So if you limit yourself to a community where you feel safe, your network becomes limited. The social capital becomes limited. And if it's limited, there will be no diverse thinking to draw on. Being on this panel, for example, I suddenly expand my social capital. So it's about tapping into and putting yourself in a position where you're able to tap into different experience and different expertise that will help you grow your business and obtain mentors, for example, role models in the process. Flavilla, when you came over from France, how did you start to build your social capital? It's a very good question because it's funny because I didn't understand what well, I didn't know social capital was that was actually a thing. I just understood from the start that if I want to make it and and thrive in this new environment that I'm not familiar with, I have to do things differently. And the first thing I did is what most people do when they travel or go to another country, they stay among people who look like them or speak the same language. So what I did, I actually avoided any French person because if I was speaking among French people, I would never improve my English. So I put myself in a very uncomfortable situation where I would say stupid things such as I'm a great cooker instead of I'm a great cook. People will laugh. But for that, that's how I was learning every day. And I realized that the more I did that, the more I was expanding, as you say, you know, my social circle, my social capital. And I applied exactly the same technique. So when I went and decided to, you know, from being an employee to be, be starting my own business, the first thing I did is I went and I, and I registered myself at, at the London Chamber of Commerce so I could network with different people. And I did the same thing again. So when I, when I started working in a tech space, I have registered in the tech environment, Tech UK, because I understood the importance of having people who come from an external network from where I am. This is also the mantra of TLA Black Men in Tech. I say, get comfortable getting comfortable. If you always do the same thing, always hang out around the same people, you will never expand opportunities. And that's what Keshav mentioned. A lot of things is luck is not so much luck. Luck is an amount of consistency and activity that you do where you allow yourself to meet new people on a regular basis. And the more you do that, you will see that you will achieve a lot of great things. People say, how on earth do you get to work with Facebook, the Deloitte, the things like that? It's because of my network. I wouldn't think I'm better than any other marketers out there. It's because of who I know. That's what takes me to great places. Keshef, thoughts? Yeah, so um, it, it makes me think of uh, an example where um, in a positive way, I was on the receiving end of a scholarship of, of some positive discrimination, if you will. So I went on a week long training for camp social kind of activists and campaigners where we were taught by people from Change.org, Greenpeace, all these big organizations who are doing it really well, these big campaigners. 
my pace, my place, sorry, was um, funded by Shami Chakrabarti. So there was a Shami Chakrabarti scholarship. I didn't really know who she was at the time. I, I just kind of applied. I got in under this BME um, bracket. And on the last day, I remember we we got taken to another room, all of the us who received the scholarship. And there was like three of us. And um, we got to sit and have a coffee with her and just like ask her any questions. And she kind of gave us a little pep talk just saying, you know, you can do this. And, and that's why it's important, the work that you're doing. And I remember at the time I felt really guilty that, you know, like what, what did I do to earn the right to be in this room? Because I'm so used to this, like I said, this idea that we have in our culture that everything has to be earned through hard work, which, which is important, but you also have to acknowledge disadvantage. And I don't think of myself as a disadvantaged person, even though I fit some of these, you know, stats and reports and things. Um, so I said this to her, I was like, I'm sorry, but I just feel really uncomfortable sitting here and I don't understand why only we're getting to talk to you. Why can't you talk to everyone? Because all my friends are back in that room. Like, yeah, they're all white and all that, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I made lifelong friends there and I, and I just didn't get why. And she just said to me, what you've got to understand is that's true and that's fair and it's very noble of you, but this is not about you. And there's going to be some opportunities that you are applicable for they're not for you, they're for the people that you represent because you're from a background and you're from a culture that is underrepresented and you bring ideas and thoughts and new ways of looking at things. I want to finish off by asking each of you for um, some advice for any aspiring entrepreneurs listening to this podcast. So Flavilla, let's uh, start with you. Yeah, I think my piece of advice, and I have so many things I would love to share, but I would say feel the fear and do it anyway. You know, the first time you do something that's, you know, that you've never done before, you'll be scared, but it'll be super exciting. And you realize that your mind is really good at making it worse than it actually is. And obviously really embrace it. You know, every vision of an entrepreneur is full of hurdles and you have to understand that you will either win or you will learn your best lessons. And those lessons, and you think about all the most successful entrepreneurs around the world, they made loads of big expensive mistakes. So if you're not making any mistakes, it means that you're not trying hard enough. So really go out there and, and try your best. Try to delegate when you can and understand the importance of having a great team because you can't do everything by yourself. You need people. And then remember why you started for helping people. Uh, Michaela? My biggest advice for any entrepreneurs would be to do your market research um, and don't stop researching. I find that a lot of people that have come to me for advice, it's always the same kind of questions and they just haven't put the time in to do their market research. Believe in yourself. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but really believe in yourself because there'll be so many people saying, don't do it this way, change your idea. You need to really believe in your business model and never give up. My advice to non-Black people generally is to listen and educate yourself. Sharing, there's a, there's a new um, campaign, which I think is really, really, really good. It's about sharing your platform. So there's so many other ways that they can get involved just by sharing your platform. And, you know, there's a um, campaign called Share the Mic. That's a really good initiative. And yeah, that'll be my advice and to entrepreneurs and to anyone who's non-Black of how they can change things. Tremendous. And uh, finally, Keshev? I think um, my biggest piece of advice is stop looking at your business as your baby and see yourself as its baby. Every business exists to 
serve its customers and the needs of its customers. And that was something that was really important for me to learn was as the founder, sometimes you can get in, often actually, you can get in the way of the growth and, and development of your own business. And you have to continually evolve and adapt your skill set to what the business needs. So five years down the road from when I first started, what what is required of me as a CEO with a small team um, is very different to what was required at the beginning. And I always see myself as like the janitor, but also, um, you know, the person in the executive boardroom. So I know that, you know, if, if I need to learn how to write funding bids, I'll do that and adapt my skill set because I, I fundamentally appreciate that even if you're good at baking cakes, running a cake business is very different and you need a different skill set. So my number one piece of advice would be, yeah, don't see your business as your baby. See yourself as its baby and, and do what the mission requires. Very nice. Right. Um, listen, I want to thank all three of you so much for, for joining me today. Um, I think it's only fair that we give you a chance to each plug your businesses. So let, let's uh, let's go around um, one by one. Um, if listeners want to find out more about your companies, where do they need to go? So, Michaela, let's let's stick with you first. So, for everything to do with Miles and Mia, looking for diverse children's books or just to follow our journey, it's Miles and Mia. So it's M I L E S A N D M I A, and that's for all our socials. A bit of news: I'm currently working on a crowdfunding campaign for our second book, which is Miles and Mia One to Ten. What kind of prizes are you giving away on the uh, crowd? What, what can you get involved in? Yeah, so we're trying to make it really creative. And one of the biggest prizes that we're doing is for the top people that donate to support us, they can basically win their character in the book, a character of their choice. So our illustrator in their likeness will create their image that will be put into the book. So they're part of our legacy. But that's like one of our big prizes. Um, There's loads of other prizes that we'll be doing where we can get more into schools. So there'll be lots of little um, prizes as well as the book for free just by supporting us. Or you can just donate because you want to see a change. Brilliant. Keshav? Uh, Yeah, so if you want to learn more about how we are literally changing the education system, go to revolutionhive.com. That's revolution and hive like a beehive. And if you want to find out more about my work on YouTube, um, I'm not being arrogant, but just Google me or go to youtube.com forward slash Keshav BX, that's K-E-S-H-A-V-B and then X for xylophone. Brilliant. You can definitely see that you know what you're doing on YouTube because you, you've got your lighting perfect there. It looks very good. Very impressed. Flavilla, uh, last uh, word with, with yourself. All right, then. Um, the good thing about being called Flavilla Fongeng, um, it's very easy to be found. So you type Flavilla or Flavi, you can find me online. But if you are interested in joining a, a network, of black women in technology. Again, something is not exclusive. You don't have to be a black woman to be part of TLA Black Women in Tech, which is a, it is a free membership. Check it out, TLA Black Women in Tech. We are also writing a new book, Book of Representation for Inspiration. So we are looking for sponsors as well who want to help us make this book a reality. So reach out. If you are looking to work with a uh, creative branding and marketing agency specializing in technology, check out freecolorsworld.com where we can help you and it'd be a pleasure to give you a free brand assessment to start with. And if you like the sound of my voice and you can listen to Tech Brand Talk, which is available on all the podcast platforms that we know, where conversation with people in the world of technology, entrepreneurs who can tell you exactly how they make millions. So yes, so check this out. And two more things. Uh, my book is coming out very soon, 99 Strategies to Get Customers 
You may have 99 problems, but getting your next customer won't be one. So check it out. It'll be available on Amazon. And the last thing I have, and obviously I created this online coaching, online branding and marketing program for, for the pandemic to really help small entrepreneurs out there who want to launch a business. Because I know a lot of them actually, um, people that registered the business for COVID to start a business. So this is great. Branding and marketing is very important to be successful out there. So, so yeah, there you go. And uh, you can tell you're, you're in marketing, that's for sure, because you managed <laughs> to get loads out there. Very well done. Very impressed. Listen, thank you so much to all three of you. What, what we'll do is we'll put links to all your businesses, everything on, on the show notes on, on the website as well. But for now, uh, that actually wraps up this discussion. So thank you, Michaela, Keshev and Flavilla for joining me online. And of course, to Piers Linney, Alice Hu Wagner and Shalom Lloyd for their contributions too. If you would like to download the reports and get in touch with the British Business Bank, you can do that via their website, which is british-business-bank.co.uk. You'll find a link to to the report in the news and events section on the navbar. Um, in the meantime, we hope you've got a lot out of this episode. We'd love to hear any comments you may have on today's discussion. You can do that on our Facebook page, on our Twitter feed, and on our LinkedIn and Instagram pages. They're, they're all linked from the top of the website at csuitepodcast.com. You'll also be able to find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic downloads of each episode via your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do give us a positive rating and review. Uh, finally, if you'd like to get in touch with the show you can do that via the contact form on the website as well you can connect with me on twitter using at russ goldsmith or you can find me on linkedin but for now thanks for listening and goodbye